Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Bilvi Posio from the Center for East Asia Studies at the University of Turku, Finland. I'm also the coordinator of the project Finnish ASEAN Academic Platform for Sustainable Development run by the Finnish University Network for Asian Studies. In today's episode, I have as my guest Professor Asunta Kukeng from the Department of Educational Leadership and Management of the Ateneo de Manila University in Philippines. She's also the managing editor of the Journal of Management for Global Sustainability and also one of the main partners of our project. Welcome, Asunta. Asunta is also the founding member of Ateneo Institute of Sustainability, and she acted as its director for eight years. Sustainability forms a significant aspect of her research and teaching interests that include leadership, system thinking, and also social entrepreneurship, which is the topic of our today's episode. Asunta, social entrepreneurship is a concept that has been around for some time now. How would you define it, and how is it practiced in Asia, and particularly in the Philippines? Yeah, thank you for that question, Philby. First of all, thank you for having me here. Now, back to social entrepreneurship. It's really about using one's entrepreneurial skills to find solutions to social problems like poverty, environmental problems, cultural problems. And in our work, we focus on social enterprises, which is a type of enterprise where business methods are used to solve these social or environmental problems. There are many different types of social enterprises in Asia and in the Philippines that try to combine the concept of entrepreneurship and social mission. But our own work focuses on the so-called new generation social enterprises. They refer to the social enterprises that are established by young professionals or young entrepreneurs with a social mission to help the poor. And we've uh, encountered several of them, first of all, as students in our university way back when they were still studying. And then now we've also seen them through our, our relationship with the Ateneo Center for Social Entrepreneurship. So that's how we generally do it here in the Philippines. Okay, that's really interesting. And the social entrepreneurs seems to address so many acute and important issues in the society. Actually, regarding that, you have published a book called Creating Sustainable Value in Social Enterprises, Stories mm-hmm. of Social Innovation Lately with Your Colleagues. Mm-hmm. What is this book about and, and why did you end up in the first place writing a book on social enterprises for students? Well, we were looking for a possible research topic in the area of sustainability. You see, I really was originally from the sciences, from chemistry. And when they asked me to move to the School of Management, they wanted me to take care of sustainability. And at that time, I happened to be working with some colleagues from the school and the Ateneo Center for Social Entrepreneurship, or with the acronym ACCENT. And this was a very important connection for us because social enterprises flourished under the support of our former university president, Father Bienvenido Nebres of the Society of Jesus. During that time, late 1900s to early 2000, he challenged us to help bridge the gap between the rich and the poor in our country. Because as you know, as an emerging economy, we have a very, very big bottom of the pyramid 
portion of our population, about uh, 70% of our population is actually in the very poor socioeconomic status. And some of our students had this desire to help solve this extreme poverty in the Philippines. And it was not enough to just give dole outs or to, you know, to help them for a short period of time. And as in the theory of Amartya Sen, real development is about developing capabilities of these people of the community. So some of our students who were studying in the early 2000s ended up founding their own social enterprises. And they are the ones featured in this casebook. We wanted to tell their story so that other students and leaders could be inspired to do something more systematic for the poor in our country. And we also added the first chapters, which, as you said, introduced them to the more conceptual portion of social entrepreneurship, because as students, mainly of management, they will have a better idea what value chain or business model of these social enterprises would look like. So that's how we got into it. That's really impressive, a way to combine the alumni's experience and cultivate also new capabilities in the current students that maybe are now now more better equipped to address these sort of really, really severe poverty issues in Philippines. Well, obviously your, your cases address the Philippine cases mainly, but in general, what do you think is the role of social entrepreneurship in emerging economies? Because obviously poverty is one of the pressing issues. Well, social enterprises actually evolved because they were helping the poor in emerging economies and actually even in developing uh, in developed countries, you know, in the UK, what they call the third sector really includes social enterprises. And even while the UK is already a developed country, you see that there are still concerns for the poorer sector in the society. And so social enterprises were designed mainly to help empower the poor so that in the long term, they can have more control, better control of their future. Unfortunately, most emerging economies lack the appropriate or mature governance structures. And like in the case of the Philippines, we are plagued with bureaucracy and corruption. So the idea is for social enterprises to work closely with primary stakeholders without waiting for the government to step in. It's really more of you know private individuals, civic society helping the primary stakeholders, who in this case are the poor of our country. They do not approach the solutions top-down. Most government solutions are top-down. They they have plans of what to do, and then they're just implemented in local government units. But social enterprises tend to listen first to what the stakeholders have to say, to what they need, what could be the possible solutions. Stakeholders have a better say. And that's very important in developing these kinds of enterprises. Yes, it has a lot of potential, at least when it comes to, well, social sustainability, but also economic sustainability. But when we think of sustainability, obviously, first thing coming to mind is the environmental sustainability. So how are these enterprises addressing environmental issues, in your opinion? Not all of the enterprises actually consciously, like it's not really a main goal because their main goal would usually be the social aspects. 
Although a few have spelled that out, the environmental aspect, they have spelled it out in their goals. But the interesting thing is that even if they do not spell out the environmental aspect or the environmental value they would like to create, what we have found out in the many social enterprises that we have studied is that most of social entrepreneurs are also very aware of issues, not just social issues, but environmental issues. So they're very conscious about having eco-efficient operations. So for example, many of our enterprises that produce lifestyle products or accessories or fashion, they're very conscious about fast fashion, for example. So they, they talk about cycling, using renewable materials, trying to look at the value added, for example, by using local weaves so that they're not just thrown away immediately. So there is a certain aspect where they look at renewables, they look at eco-efficient production so that they do not waste much. So a lot of their resources are very well used. They also look at low carbon emission processes if they can. There is one social enterprise we studied. The main goal of this social enterprise was reforestation in the southern island of Mindanao. And the way he did it was that he said, if we just reforest and, you know, we just plant trees and uh, they're not taken care of, then the trees will just die. So he asked the farmers to plant cacao trees and they went into cacao farming. And they produce some of the high-quality chocolate, which they export to France, for example. And it's a nice way of reforesting the land, which has been deforested. It also added livelihood to the farmers. You know? it, it gave them income and it helped develop their mindset that, you know, this is something that we can do. We can take care of the, of the trees, but at the same time, they will give back something to us. So a lot of the environmental value is not a main goal for, for many social enterprises, but it is expressed by a few of the, of the social enterprises that we have studied. Yes, and obviously these sort of facets of sustainability are intertwined, which, and it seems yes. that social entrepreneurship could, could really provide this sort of holistic solution towards sustainable development. But it seems mm -hmm. that it hasn't really taken off in big waves mm -hmm. in Asia. Why do you think mm -hmm. this hasn't happened? You know, part of the problem is that while most entrepreneurs have the financial and social capital and even have the entrepreneurial mindset, they need certain qualities that are needed to become a social entrepreneur because it's really a very tough journey. It's not an easy road to navigate. The social entrepreneur entrepreneurs that we have interviewed really highlighted the need for relationship building skills. Why? Because most of the, of the communities they work with have a different culture. So they need this relationship building skills across different cultures. You know, they have to bridge cultural divides. They sometimes speak different languages, one the language of business, the other the language of the community, which has nothing to do with, you know, that it's more of tradition of the community they work in. So for one example is that one social entrepreneur was so happy because they, they were able to get a big order 
for their products. And it was near Christmas time. But when she expressed how happy she was that they were able to get this big order, the, the, the women who were working with her were very sad. And uh, they were telling her, well, yes, it's good for the business, but then we also have to take care of our families and it's near Christmas. So there is a different value set. And so sometimes the social entrepreneur has to understand the different contexts and has to know how to work with it. There's also this quality of uh, social entrepreneurs that need to show respect for the community because sometimes, you know, you think you have all the solutions, but actually the, the marginalized communities have their own perspective, how, how to solve those problems. The entrepreneurs also need patience to build trust with the marginalized communities because sometimes it takes years to build that trust. And if you're a regular business entrepreneur, uh, thinking of your immediate profit, that just will not work. And many of the social entrepreneurs we have interviewed have really gone through very big challenges sometimes when they get really very low uh, revenue they have to think of ways to solve the problem so that they don't just give up on their community. So there needs to be some grit and resilience to stick to that project. And they have to make sacrifices. Some of them don't have big salaries at the start, not just so that the enterprise can move forward. So there are many sacrifices. And that's why perhaps it is not so easy for individuals to become social entrepreneurs. There are certain qualities that to go with it. And you have to have a deep well of resources emotionally mm-hmm. in order to, to deal with, with those demands. Yes, it seems, well, as you said, challenging and requires a, a very wide skill set. And I'm certain mm-hmm. that your latest publication will also introduce these to the students as well to see the everyday struggles also of social enterprises. So... How organized then are these social enterprises in the Philippines in terms if it kind of requires resources? Are you aware mm-hmm. of, of these sort of bigger networks or supporting activities for the social enterprises? I am not really sure if there is a formal organization, but there are certain groups that have helped in bringing the social entrepreneurs together. So they actually, many of them know each other well. For example, the British Council was very instrumental in uh, bringing the social enterprises in the earlier stages together, and they, they gave some support in organizing networks and maybe even grants to other countries or funding and so on. And for example, a local bank have made this part of their corporate social responsibility, and they have partnered with our center of the Accent the Atenea Center for Social Entrepreneurship, they've partnered to organize boot camps for budding social entrepreneurs. And then the winners usually get some funding grants for to incubate their ideas. I know Singapore also has something similar. And they sometimes there, there are interactions with them. I know that one of our local social entrepreneurs was able to get a grant to incubate his project coming from that project of Singapore some years ago. So there is an informal network definitely among the social entrepreneurs and they actually know most of each other. What I found quite interesting also 
is that they do not really compete with each other, even if their products are very similar. What I have seen in the small network that I know is that they actually help each other. They share ideas with each other, give support to each other, because I think they know how difficult the journey is and they are spread out in different communities anyway. So there's been a lot of informal conversation among them. And I think because of their common problems, they end up talking in these particular circles. That is really interesting in terms of not competing, but yeah. supporting, taking yeah. into consideration the harsh realities of economic activities. But, well, we have the term social in the social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So the COVID pandemic must have affected these mm-hmm. enterprises somehow, at least. So what do you think are the effects of the pandemic? Initially, the the main problem, especially in the Philippines, where uh, there were very strict lockdown guidelines, that became a problem for many social enterprises because that meant that they could not communicate directly with their stakeholders. We couldn't get out of our zones. no, uh, And that meant that, you know, how do you reach the communities? How do you transport their product? So there was a time when activities were put on hold. So what the social entrepreneurs, or most of them, what they did was to find a way to support these communities who cannot sell their services or products during that period. So they had to find ways to support the community and you know help them get through the, the pandemic as well. So, But when, when the lockdowns eased, they were able to go back to their activities. And in some cases, they have they were very creative. For example, several social enterprises started to do face masks, face masks with ethnic designs, with native designs, and so on. And, and for example, another social enterprise specialized on PPEs, the personal protection equipment, they produced that instead of sewing clothes. They, they shifted their products to this. And so some of them, because of the creativity of the and the innovativeness of the social entrepreneurs were able to guide the communities to shift their production and earn from it in the process. So it it was very challenging for the lockdown time, but I think they were able to get over that. And most of the social entrepreneurs, one of my students did research on this during the pandemic, and so she had to go back to them to ask them for updates during the pandemic. And apparently most of them used that time as an opportunity for repositioning themselves or establishing new projects. For example, one social enterprise, Gotthard Foundation, they, they started to develop the laboratories for the agricultural produce of the farmers. I know that Mel Jung, who is the the head of this social enterprise, has been thinking about that. But I think during the pandemic, it gave her the opportunity to actually set it up in the place of the farmers. And so they're able to look now at what value they could add to maybe tons of ginger or tons of whatever produce they have and, and process it in the laboratories. Well, that's indeed creative and making the best out of the pandemic yeah. in a sense that what is hopefully in the past, the pandemic reality is. <laughs> so maybe it's a time to wrap up a bit and think about the future. 
So what do you think are the future prospects of social entrepreneurship and how do you personally plan to develop your own work on social entrepreneurship? Well, I think social entrepreneurship has a bright future, especially for emerging economies, because this is really one way of engaging our marginalized groups and giving them opportunities. I mean, if you look at the SDGs, inclusivity is a very important part of it. And I think this is a very good way moving forward. So there will be a lot of room for social entrepreneurship, especially if they can be recognized by government. Right now, for example, in the Philippines, they are not differentiated from other small and medium enterprises. So they have they get no benefits at all. They have no tax incentives or nothing, nothing like that. So they really are are still operating like a regular business, but also operating like an NGO because they have to think of the social mission. So there is a future if people get inspired. And I think if we think of the Gen Z or the millennials, They're looking for some advocacy to latch on. And I think this is a very good entry point for them. And beyond research, I think it is also important to act on the concepts. So I've continued working with Accent because Accent helps to run workshops. One of the more recent workshops we did was how to teach social enterprise concepts to young Filipinos because it's not usually taught in other universities, in other schools, no? So this is something we were trying to spread the news that, well, you can do social enterprise with a bit of sacrifice, but maybe if you're a team, you can work things out and so on. So Accent, the uh, center, also helps those who are interested to become social entrepreneurs by giving them applied training through boot camps or giving them exposure to potential partners. And I think that's very, very important because this potential social entrepreneurs need all the support that they can get. They need an enabling environment. They need people who will partner with them and give them some room to grow in as they incubate their ideas. And maybe it's a good way to maybe tell you the good news that we have written a second case book. We'll be calling it Social Enterprise Stories of Resilience and Innovation because this is where Some of the COVID-19 pandemic stories are also, well, part of it will be there in the stories. And this time, we're featuring social enterprises, not just from our graduates, which was the sort of the motivation for our first casebook. But this time, we've gone to different parts of the Philippines to feature other social enterprises. And so it's a very interesting uh, mix of social enterprises that do training, school, Some of the social enterprises are into agriculture and fishing. So it's very interesting. It's a very interesting mix. And like before, we will have additional chapters. And this time, the focus of the added chapters will be on ethics, social entrepreneurship as an approach to social development. We're also going to talk more about stakeholder engagement, ethics and business models and so on. And systems thinking, by the way. Systems thinking mm, yes. will be also featured in one of the chapters. So I hope that the second case book will complement the concepts that we have introduced in the first one and inspire others with more stories of resilience and innovation. Wonderful. That's a great news. 
And also good to hear that uh, you are able to kind of benefit from your expertise on research and practice of social entrepreneurship. And so thank you very much, Asunta, for these insights. And this really gave food for thought by introducing this sort of practices to reach environmental, social and also economic sustainability. And I'm also yeah. really looking forward to, to see your new publication. Thank you for this opportunity. Yes, it was great to have you here. And to our listeners, I want to thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.